It's Matthew 5, verses 17 to 48, page 110, 810. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless the righteous exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we're looking through Matthew's gospel, which is um, his account of Jesus' life. And we've come to the, the first big block of Jesus' teaching that Matthew records for us in chapters 5 through 7 of this gospel. It's a very famous sermon from Jesus. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And really, this sermon has, um, I guess, one big purpose, which is to show us what it looks like to follow Jesus. So this is a sermon about what it looks like, what it means to follow Jesus, what distinctive Christian living looks like. What does it mean to say that Jesus is King and to live with Jesus as King? That is the entire purpose of these chapters. And just as we begin tonight, I think that what we are going to see is perhaps one of the most penetrating insights into human nature ever. I mean, this is a brutal exposure of the human heart, a brutal assault on the self-righteousness that often accompanies um, much of religion and that often is in much of our hearts. And I promise that if you're here tonight and you are a follower of Jesus, this will shake you to the core. But these are the words of Jesus. These are the words of a healer, not a killer. And they will cut deep, but they cut more like a scalpel than a sword. Now, what is it that links tonight's passage together? It was quite a big reading. I think it is all one section. What is it that ties all these little teaching blocks together? Well, ultimately, this is Jesus teaching to us about how we read and apply God's law. So the law of God, if you were here this morning, um, we were looking at Nehemiah, we saw that Ezra, this was the law that Ezra read to the people, uh, and they wept because they were so convicted by it. This is the law that um, that King David said was the most precious thing in the world. He said it was more precious than all the jewels. He said it was sweeter than honey. This is the law which God gave to Israel on top of Mount Sinai in the the famous Exodus story, the Ten Commandments. And God gave this law to the nation of Israel thousands of years before Jesus preached this sermon. God gave it to them so that they as a nation would be distinct from the rest of the world. And in their distinctiveness, they would show the world who God is. And it's no mistake then that here in Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus preaches a sermon on distinctive living, He does so from the top of a mountain, because this is the new Sinai event of the New Testament. Jesus puts himself in God's place. In fact, you'll notice that as we read through that, what Jesus was doing was he was beginning by quoting an Old Testament law, so he began each phrase, each section by saying, you have heard that it was said, and then he would magnify or or, or kind of increase the implications of it by saying, but I say to you, putting himself in God's place because Jesus is, as we've seen in Matthew's gospel, God himself. Now, Jesus does not uh, attack the law of God that was given in the Old Testament. He doesn't want to undermine that. He makes that very clear in verse 17. But what he is doing here is trying to rightly apply the law of God. 
In other words, Jesus is attacking in this sermon an abuse of God's law that had come from the religious leaders of his time. So, the scribes and the Pharisees, they would abuse God's law, and they would take it, and they would either add to it, or they would soften the blow of it. And they would do this to kind of make themselves seem better than they were, to make themselves seem righteous. And they would say things to people like, if you obey the law like us, then God will love you and God will accept you. And so these religious people looked down on others who didn't keep their rules. And when you live like that, thinking that you can somehow earn God's favor through what you do, all that does is is it creates an air of superiority and self-righteousness. And for some of you here, maybe maybe that's what, I guess, your perception of Christianity is. This is like a group of people who are trying to do good things so that God will accept them, uh, and they can't help, I guess, but feel a bit self-righteous. That is the most anti-Jesus way to live, as we'll see in this sermon. But it's not just religious people who do that. This kind of danger of of self-righteousness is one that we see everywhere. Many of us today might not have a religious law that we can abuse and that we can twist to try and make ourselves look good, but what we tend to do is set our own law, set our own standard. So, I've heard people say to me, well, if there is a God, then I'll be okay. Um, He should accept me if I die. Why? Because I'm basically a good person. And I often ask, well, by what standard? By, by your standard? By a standard that, that we've made up? By a culture standard? And is our understanding of right and wrong really so perfect that we think we, we can tell God, the creator of the universe, how he should operate and who he should accept or deny? You see, Jesus' teaching here in Matthew chapter 5 shows that that doesn't work because God's standard is so beyond us. And I want to emphasize here that, that these words that we're looking at, these are words that are not just given to everyone, these are words that are given to Christians. Because the danger of self-righteousness is one that we all face. Before we dive in and look at this, though, we need to understand what was the purpose of God's law? So when God gave that law to the Israelites all those years ago, and the law that Jesus is talking of here, what is the purpose of it? You'll see in your service sheet, I've got two points which we need to get right, otherwise we're going to miss what Jesus is saying in this sermon. Firstly, the law was given, and the law that Jesus teaches on here was given to expose our fatal flaws. Look at what Jesus says in verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So why did these Pharisees, why did these scribes want to soften the blow of the law? Why did they want to relax the commandments of God? Well, they did so because when we are confronted with God's perfect standard that we see in the law, it makes us look bad. When we suddenly realize maybe we're not as good as we thought, that's a difficult thing. 
And encountering God's law is meant to humble us by showing us how utterly flawed we are. How does Jesus finish this little section? Verse 48, we are to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. And these examples that he gives in verses 21 to 48 are meant to expose our imperfections, to to lay bare the human heart so that we will not trust in ourselves. We know we can never be perfect, and that's exactly the point. If we could, we wouldn't need Jesus who fulfills the law. But the second purpose of the law is this. The law shows us the inside-out righteousness that we are constantly to strive for. So, what do I I mean by inside-out righteousness? Well, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' time, they had, I guess, what we could call an outside-in righteousness. So, outwardly, these guys would have looked very impressive. They would have looked very moral. They would have given money to charity. They would have taught the Bible. But internally, they were hypocrites, and they were self-righteous people. And following Jesus should create the opposite. Have you noticed, as, we, as Davi read through that, did you notice that in Jesus' teaching here, he is far more concerned with the internal motivations of something than the external actions? Do you notice that? He wants something that's genuine, that's real. And did you notice that, that all the examples that he gives in verse 21 to 48 are all to do with how we treat others? That's what ties it all together. In fact, in Matthew 7, verse 12, later on in this sermon, Jesus sums up the law and the prophets by saying, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Inside-out righteousness genuinely loves others and completely relies upon God. It's the total opposite of self-righteousness. That is the kind of righteousness that Jesus is speaking of here in verse 20, a righteousness that will exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. So as we look at this now, keep those two points in your mind. This is what we're meant to get from this. This is to expose us and how far we fall from God's standards, but it's also to give us a standard that we must constantly be striving for as followers of Jesus. So let's look at the perfect standard of the law. Uh, You'll see I've got the outline there. I went a bit mad with the alliterations. Uh, I think I was on like coffee number six when I wrote this outline. Um, So let's just work our way through this uh, and let the words of Jesus really humble us this evening. Firstly, we're to have no hatred in our hearts. Verse 21, Jesus says, this is the Old Testament law, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus is saying, okay, guys, here's one of the commandments which you think you've kept well. Do not murder. Now, for many of us, it is interesting that when it comes to justifying ourselves, how good we are, uh, this might be a commandment that we'll go to. Well, look, I've not killed anyone. I've not murdered anyone. Look at how Jesus raises the bar, how he gets under the skin of what lies behind murder. He goes right to the heart and says, look, you might not have killed someone, but if you've got anger in your heart, 
if you are filled with hatred, if you've insulted someone, or you called them a fool out of rage and malice, you have broken this commandment. Murder and anger, they have the same root. It's the hatred of another person. And when you, when you hate that person, you dehumanize them. You strip them of any value, any value that they may have as someone who is made in God's image. And that's what leads some people to go so far as to even kill them. See, anger, resentment, hatred, and insult, they are all in the same family tree as murder. Jesus is saying, look, you don't understand. The Old Testament law, you shall not murder, was never just about an external action, but it's about your heart, the heart of a person, the motivations that that lead to these actions. Murder begins with, with an unrighteous anger and malice. And so, if that is you, what does that mean? Now, please look at the end of verse 22. Jesus is not exaggerating. They will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, Immediately, we want to start relaxing the law, don't we? We want to downplay this. Jesus doesn't mean that. Jesus does mean that. This is so serious. To hate and to be angry and to insult people is a complete anti-God state of mind. That sly insult, that piece of gossip, that person, you know, you feel, I just can't stand them. All of it is a slippery slope away from God, and it has more in common with hell than it does with Jesus Christ. Doesn't verse 23 to 24 seem like such a mundane scenario? Two guys at the temple worshiping. This is how they worshipped at the time of Jesus and before Jesus, bringing their offering, and they both, they both got an issue with each other. Happens all the time, doesn't it? Two people in church, they, they don't say a word to each other. They're probably very respectable and polite on the surface. But underneath, they just can't stand each other. Someone maybe said something to the other. Maybe it's an issue with dishes, as Kat was saying. Uh, Somebody's maybe just annoyed them in a small way, and they've not forgotten about it. But they don't bother to reconcile. They conceal their anger and the hatred in their hearts. And Satan has a foothold. And it's little things like that that can destroy churches. We must do everything in our power to bring about reconciliation. It's hard, requires humility and a willingness to be hurt, but we must put aside our our self-justifying anger. We always want to justify ourselves and treat others as we would be treated. What a great thing it would be to come into a church, to gather with a group of people and know that that it's not one thing to your face and another behind your back, to know that there's a, a place here of genuine affection and love for one another and reconciliation with one another. Secondly, no lust in our looks. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, Jesus, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now you're starting to feel the weight of what Jesus is saying here. So Jesus is doing the same thing now with the do not commit adultery command as he did with the you shall not murder command. He, he strips it right down, right down to its heart motivation. And just as anger and hatred are in the same family tree as murder, so lust, pornography, and sexual immorality are all in the same family tree as adultery. 
This is not in Jesus. This is not Jesus imposing a ban on sexual desire, which is a good God-given thing, but on lusting after someone who you are not married to. You know, we read the papers and you hear of a, a scandal involving, you know, some politician or sports person who's been sleeping around or committed adultery, and we think, oh, that's disgraceful, isn't it? And then we turn the page, and there's a scantily clad woman, and our own mind starts to wonder. And we remain blind to the double standards, to our self-righteousness. Again, like the first point, no one might know, but God sees. If we're sitting alone at night on the internet, if we are flicking through the channels and TV by ourselves, if we're sitting by a pool on holiday with sunglasses on and no one can see, and even if we know it's wrong, we think to ourselves, well, I'm not, I'm not actually sleeping around with people. But Jesus says here, well, it's just as bad. Because lust like anger can lead on a downward spiral of sin to the point where we no longer like God. In fact, we probably start to resent Him. We view Him as being too controlling. And so we create our own law about sex and sexuality, one, one that fits a standard that we like. And in the end, if you do that, you become very self-righteous and you resent those who, who don't hold on to your sexual ethic. It's a slippery slope away from God. That's why we must fight for holiness in this area. And I know Jesus is, is very male-focused, it seems here, but it applies to females too. Fight for it. Don't, don't relax the law. Please don't. And I know that every one of us will have failed in this area. But don't say, hey, that's just who I am, because it's not who you are. If you're a Christian, you belong to Christ. This is not you. Keep fighting. Jesus says, we've got to take extreme action in this area. We must gouge out eyes and chop off hands if it's causing us to sin. It calls for extreme measures. Take the internet off your phone. Cancel your TV. Get rid of your computer. Don't go out to that nightclub if it's going to cause your mind to wander. I think it's worth saying as well, if you're a female, just to be careful what you wear. Don't wear something that's going to spark off lustful thoughts in a guy who's not your husband. And all these things that we might put aside, they're just small, small prices to pay for the joy and satisfaction of purity in Christ. Thirdly, Jesus says, no misuse of our marriages. This difficult section, these two verses, 31 to 32, you may have gone through the pain of divorce yourself. But we mustn't take these two verses here as a kind of comprehensive teaching on marriage. Jesus does teach elsewhere on it more fully. Uh, but the point in this context is about the abuse and the misuse of God's law. So the Pharisees and the scribes, they abused God's law on divorce. They thought that if they or any other man got bored with a woman, then they could just do the proper thing and get a certificate of divorce and be rid of her. Oh, it was in God's law. And Jesus is rebuking that twisting of the law. He does say that there is a grounds for divorce in the case of sexual unfaithfulness in verse 32, but his point is that we must take very seriously the commitment that we have made in marriage. It's such a precious and a God-given thing. Don't misuse it or try and soften that commitment. There's no room for casual flirting or seductive dress for the sake of others or for anything that undermines the single commitment that we have made to that individual in our marriage. 
Fourthly, Jesus says, no lying on our lips. There in verse 33. Um, Now, this law to uh, not swear falsely, what the Pharisees had done is they kind of distorted this, and they would say, well, if you make an oath to God, that's a genuine oath. But if you make an oath to Jerusalem, or you make an oath on uh, behalf of the earth, or even by the hairs of your head, then it's not as binding as an oath that you would make to God. And Jesus is saying, look, come on, it's ridiculous. God owns heaven and earth and Jerusalem. And, and this law that was enforced to encourage truthfulness, you've twisted it to, to bring about deception. It's like a, a, a child that promises to do something um, but says it wasn't binding because behind their back they had their fingers crossed. And we might, might not make oaths today, but when we feel we really want to say something that is actually true, we tend to back it up by, by saying things like, well, I swear on my whatever it is, or um, this is the, the honest truth. Or people in Dundee would say, I swear down, swear down. I have no idea what that means. But that's what they would say, I swear down, which is basically another way of saying, look, I know most of the time I'm not really trustworthy, but because I've said that phrase, now you can really trust me. And we can often play with our words to try and justify deceit when we say, well, I wasn't really lying. I was just bending the truth or or deliberately withholding information. Soften the blow of God's law. Do any of these little lies sound familiar? I'm afraid I can't come and help. I'm just too busy. I'll tell him I'm not here. I'll try my best to come along. I'll be praying for you. Do you ever tell stories to twist the facts to make yourself look good? These little lies, Jesus says, are evil. Self-righteous, self-justifying evil. Look, you know when you're doing it, you do. He says that right there at the end in verse 37. It comes from evil. Literally, in the Greek, it's probably more likely it comes from the evil one, from the devil. Rather, verse 37, we are to be people of integrity. Your yes is yes, and your no is no. Be the kind of person that that when you sign up for something, people know you're going to come. When you say something, you don't need to justify it. Wouldn't it be great to know someone like that? Wouldn't it be great to be a person like that? Just, Just totally reliable and honest. feel the weight of Jesus' teaching here. When I was prepping this, I just got, it was unbelievable, just the day I was writing this stuff, and I just felt the weight of all these temptations that Jesus talks of here, and realized that just within an hour of of writing this sermon, I could see how far I was falling short. Fifthly, no revenge in our responses. We're pushed for time and can't go into too many details. These, these thoughts, they're great. It would be just little sermons in and of themselves. But both these last two points are really to do with how we might treat people who malign and insult us. The law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, it was a great law in the Old Testament. It was a law that was given to the nation state of Israel, not to individuals, but it was given to the nation state of Israel to kind of limit personal vengeance, to stop things spiraling out of control. But it had been distorted as a justification for retaliating and kind of small personal disputes. And Jesus says, look, if someone insults you, turn the other cheek. 
Don't retaliate. When someone makes fun of you, the first response will be, well, depending on who you are, you either want to thump them or to insult them back or to go away and gossip about them or just be filled with silent hatred. Don't do it. Take it on the chin. Walk away. Don't seek vengeance. In fact, in the sixth point, Jesus goes even further. Love the person who insults you. No limits to our love. See what he says there in these verses, verse 43 to 48. Not only is there no room for retaliation of anger and vengeance, but Jesus says we are to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute, persecute us. Don't just walk away from them. Love them. There's no limit to this, by the way. This is not just the person who's called you a name. For some Christians, this is the, the state that's killed their family. Love them. A self-righteous person will never do that. Never. Because this is true selflessness. Why should we do that? Because it's who we are. It's what our Heavenly Father is like. And we have His DNA. Look at Jesus' example in verse 45. God makes His sun rise on the evil and the good. It's not like all the good people get sunshine from God and all the bad people don't get any. Because if we thought like that, then we'd think that Dundee is some moral haven because, as we all know, Dundee is the sunniest city in Scotland. But as a Dundonian, I can tell you that the sun that shines in Dundee is nothing to do with the moral uprightness of that place. God gives to all people, and so too should we, regardless of how they treat us. What's the point, Jesus says, in just loving people who love you? Nothing distinct about that. Everyone does that. But to love your enemies, to love those who hate you, that is a profound and radical thing. Love them. How do you do that? That's seems so hard. Pray, 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 pray. The more you pray for people, the more you will love them. And remind yourselves of how God has treated you. You see, if God sought vengeance on His enemies, if He didn't love His enemies, then we wouldn't be here tonight. We would be in deep trouble, heading towards hell with no hope of any salvation. We can do it and we must do it because we are sons and daughters of the ultimate gracious Father. Okay, step back from the teaching on the law here. What are we to do with all of this? Here's what we must not do. Two things we must not do. Firstly, we must not relax these standards. Don't downplay the severity of Jesus' language. When he speaks of hell and evil as being the source of this kind of thinking, he's not exaggerating. Don't relax it to try and make yourself look better. Everything in us wants to do it. We are really not as good as we think we are. And the law is there to expose that truth. I've just been so challenged by studying this myself and seeing, I guess, my own heart laid bare and what it's like how I struggle in almost all these areas. But here's the second thing we mustn't do with this. We must not use this as a checklist to see how much God likes us or as a basis for whether or not God will accept us. It's not the purpose of the law. That's how the Pharisees abused the law. They made it a a kind of um, means to salvation. If you keep these laws, then God will save you. That is not how the law was meant to be used. 
This is here to shatter self-righteousness. And if you think, well, if I can just keep this, then God will save me, that just makes you self-righteous. If you use the law as a basis for salvation, if you use this as a kind of way of gauging how God feels about you, it will crush you because the standard is the perfection of God. And we all fall short of that standard. Jesus did not come, we've seen this in Matthew's gospel, he did not come to give us rules to live so that God would like us more and maybe, just maybe, let us into heaven. That is not Christianity. Being a Christian is not about being a good person. We're all messed up people. That's what this teaching is designed to show us. The law exposes our sinful hearts so that we can see that salvation cannot one little bit come from ourselves, but can only come from the perfect one who fulfills the law. Think about that that list of things that we've looked at. Wouldn't it be great to know someone like that? That's Jesus, the one who fulfills the law. He succeeds where we fail. And in Matthew's gospel, there's only one requirement that Jesus gives to be saved, and it's this. Repent. (laughs) You're messed up. Come to Jesus, ask for forgiveness, and he will give it to you. That's why he came. Remember, at the very start when he was born, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And at the end of Matthew's gospel, as it all leads to that moment where he will suffer and die on a cross. He will suffer for all the wrong that we have done. Those lustful looks, those angry thoughts, those broken marriages, those deceitful lies, those vengeful reactions, all that is wrong in us, everything, Jesus takes the punishment for them so that no matter what, we will always be accepted by God. We do nothing to be saved And Jesus, the one who fulfills the law, does it all. So there's absolutely no room at all for any sort of self-righteousness in Jesus' kingdom. How could there be? What have we done? Nothing. And that truth of of his limitless grace and mercy to, to me and to you, sinful people who need it every day, that great truth, that liberates us to strive to be more like the person that Jesus describes here. To strive for this perfect standard, it frees us for a selfless love towards others in which we're not looking to see how well we're doing to justify ourselves. We're not looking to our own false goodness, but we're just so overwhelmed with the love that Christ has shown us that we want to help others and be like this to them. So we don't relax it to make ourselves look good. And we don't use it as a gauge for our salvation, but we use this law as a standard that we must be striving for, we must be fighting for. And if we're not growing, if we're stagnating in these areas, then that is a dangerous thing because this is the righteousness that a Christian should pursue till the day they die. A genuine righteousness that truly loves others and depends wholly upon Jesus. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5, verse 6 about those who are in his kingdom? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. See, when you read this, don't you just thirst to be like this, like a a man in a desert who is dying of thirst, parched, wanting this righteousness. Blessed are those who do for one day they will be satisfied. One day all our sin will be gone forever, and we will have the perfect righteousness 
of the one who fulfills the law. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this great teaching that Jesus gives us. Father, this is just immense. We come to to the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and we feel our sin laid bare and our hearts exposed. And Father, we do want to grieve like those who grieved this morning in Nehemiah when they were confronted with your law as we see ourselves. And yet, Father, we pray that that would really produce in us a godly sorrow which does lead to repentance. And so now we come as your church to ask for your mercy and your forgiveness. We have seen what we are like. We've seen how far we fall from your standard. And we ask you, Jesus, to forgive us. And we do so confidently, knowing that because of what you have done on the cross, you always forgive us. You always love us. And may that unconditional mercy not drive us to apathy, but may it drive us to action. May it drive us to pursue and hunger and thirst for this righteousness, for this genuine inside-out righteousness that loves others selflessly and that trusts not in ourselves, but wholly on you, Jesus. Jesus, you are all we have. We cannot look to ourselves. And you're all we need. So we thank you for who you are. Help us to be distinct and to be like you in every aspect of our lives. In your holy name, amen.